people, products and markets. I really believe that these are the three components that eventually make or break your startup success. And while most founders have sleepless nights thinking about their products and their markets, what they often tend to forget is the fact that a product can never be built and its fit with the market also will never be found if you don't have an amazing team to do this with together. My name is Charlotte. I am co-founder and CEO of Equalture, which is a team composition technology that helps tech scale-ups from all over the world in uh, building the team they need to be able to scale. And in this podcast, I chat with scale-up founders and CEOs from all over the world who've already discovered the incredible value and an incredible impact that their team has on their business. We talk about their way, their, their journey of building a team, their milestones, their failures, their lessons learned, um, all to help remind all founders out there of the incredible importance of their team. And hopefully to help you build your winning team to scale. So my guest for today is Nadim Sadek. And Nadim is founder and CEO of Proquo AI, which is a UK-based skill-up that has built a brand management platform uh, that actually leverages AI to help you grow your brand faster. And what is so fascinating about the conversation I've had with Nadim is um, um, the fact that Proquo is growing rapidly. They were with 30 people at the end of 2019. They are already with 15 and are planning to grow to 100 people at the end of 2020. Uh, also distributed, so they have a location in the US, uh, in South Africa and in uh, the UK, um, is the fact that the company culture is rock solid there. Uh, and during this conversation, Nadim has told me how they actually built the company culture, that he also believes that you can create a company culture yourself and, and the role that a founder should have in that. Um, and it's, it's, um, it's really inspiring to see how you can have distributed teams uh, if you add another layer to it, namely the fact that most teams are in lockdown, um, that they're doing so well in, in, uh, in guarding that company culture, keep people motivated, keep people aware of the vision that they have and, and celebrate milestones together. So that secret behind securing a company culture while growing so rapidly and being distributed um, is what I will talk about with Nadine. So welcome Nadine. It's, uh, it's great to have you on my podcast today. Thank you, Charlotte. I'm happy to be here. One question I always ask to uh, people that are joining an episode of my podcast, because I can imagine as a founder, as a CEO of a scaling company, you receive a lot of requests for interviews, podcasts, uh, speaking, speaking things, etc. Uh, what was the reason that you said yes to this podcast? I, I liked that uh, you're essentially a technology company in the human resources space. Um, we're looking to find people who are fellow innovators. Uh, and we thought it'd be interesting to explore this. Cool, great answer. Hey, and um, um, of course, we're gonna have a chat today about, about your team, about your company culture, the journey that, that you've been through, uh, lessons learned, milestones, etc. cetera. Uh, but first, uh, if you could give a quick introduction of your company, Proquo, and yourself, that would be amazing. Sure. Uh, Proquo AI, as we're formally called, we do often just say Proquo, um, is a brand management company, and it is the first and only one of its kind so far. 
Um, we're essentially a platform that takes what has previously been an art that's uh, managing a brand, where, by the way, brand managers have a choice of over 25 million options that they can choose to mobilize for their brand during the course of the year, which sounds like a fairly impossible art. Uh, we're transferring that kind of art into a science through the employment of AI, understanding mm -hmm. first correlations and then causative effects between some marketing activities and responses in market, uh, investments in some things and changes in consumer sentiment and so on. So we're essentially bringing AI to brand management. Wow, how did you, um, how did you come up with the idea? Um, it, it was a long journey, actually. Um, I'm lucky to be so old leading such a fresh young business. Um, <laughs> but uh, I started off as a consumer psychologist and then I became a qualitative market researcher. Um, I began a qualitative research firm in the UK in the 1990s. It became the biggest of its type in the world and I sold it to WPP. I then helped them run, uh, I was global CEO of a company called Milbert Brown, their qualitative network. And then I was worldwide commercial and strategy director for another of their network businesses called Research International. So I kind of went from a, a bit of qualitative research to a big bit of quantitative research. I went from a little company to a big company, a British company to a global company. Mm -hmm. um, and I kind of understood that whole world very well. But I, but I had a kind of a moment of epiphany one day, and I'm sorry if this sounds aggressive to the market research industry, which uh, I was lucky enough to, to enjoy working in for a long time and which gave me some fame and fortune. But I, I came back from a client meeting one day, um, having secured a very big fee for a very big project. <clears throat> and, and I was you know, greeted by lots of celebration and congratulations. But I, I felt internally a sort of shame that um, the people I just sold that project to would probably never really see a proper return on the investment. And I wasn't content with that. I just thought that uh, the, the market research industry was um, devoid of innovation of a, of a true nature and that we'd kind of lost our way. Um, mm -hmm. So ra rather than kind of being miserable about it or just pouring criticism on people, <clears throat> I, I came to the conclusion that I couldn't really change the market research industry and I left it. Um, and by that time, I'd bought a, an island off the west coast of Ireland. Um, I'm half Irish and half Egyptian, so that was one reason for doing it. There weren't many very good reasons for doing it. <laughs> and, um, and I went to the, to the island, and I started a whiskey business, uh, a whiskey brand. Oh, wow. A food, a food brand, a music brand, and a hospitality brand. And they were really successful, and I really enjoyed that job. I'd sit at my desk at 11 o'clock in the morning, drinking whiskey and listening to music, and I was actually doing my job. Um, <laughs> but, but what it allowed me to do was to reflect upon, you know, two to three decades of market research, research experience and, and then a, a period about a decade of building my own brand and investing in it and mobilizing PR and looking at distribution and um, seeing how, how marketing, rather than just kind of creating a brand, um, needed particular things. And I decided to come back um, as it were, to the marketing services industry, um, wishing to create a technology that was scalable, that would allow businesses that really had no great experience of running brands, so generally SME or SMBs as they call them in the States, um, or mid-market companies, smaller than enterprise in other words, who were famished, you know, they had never had 
the opportunity to bring in expert brand management themselves, nor could they afford consultative services from an advisory type company. And I wanted to create a technology which was scalable and affordable that would mm -hmm. take a lot of that weight from them and say, if this is your brand and these are your business goals, then these are the things that you should do and we'll help you do them. That's exactly what ProQuo has become. Um, and it really came about from that kind of moment of epiphany for me that uh, there was nothing in the marketplace that was fit for purpose. Uh, and I know that that's an ambitious and an assertive thing to say, but mm -hmm. I, I truly believe it. So um, that's where we are. We are a brand management platform. I think it's really cool that you went from the, uh, <clears throat> let's say, consulting side of the story to being building a brand yourself, and you are now actually in between since you have, since you know both sides of the story. So I think it's really, uh, I think the best ideas always come from, come out of some experience that you've had yourself. Hey, and and, and um, I did some research, of course, on LinkedIn and looked for uh, uh, some indicators that I always check is uh, company growth, uh, number of employees, funding. Uh, I think you tick the boxes of uh, what we would call a skill here in the Netherlands yeah. uh, with around 50 people today. How has that journey, how has this, that journey been of, of starting a business on your own to being with a team of, of around 50 people today? Uh, it's been really good fun. I mean, to be honest, I've done it before. You know, I've, I've gone from little to big and I've run quite big organizations as well. Mm. But this one was a bit different. Um, in 2012, we started with a, with a small team of what I call agile veterans. People are really kind of new stuff from the marketing world, from mm -hmm. communications world, from the market research world, all sorts of different disciplines. And that led to the iteration of um, our core IP, which we refer to as the 16 drivers. It's a way of understanding how brands have the best relationships mm -hmm. uh, with, with consumers. And then there came a point where I, I understood that um, it was fine to have been disruptive and innovative in terms of intellectual property, but we also had to do it at a business model level. And so there came a kind of moment of inflection, if you like, where the team that had invented the IP uh, left, essentially. I mean, I, I, I of course, remain part of that. Um, and we brought in the new people. The new people were the, the ones who could engineer a platform. So we had machine scientists, as we call them. We had a team that could build human scientists so that we were always innovating, understanding which measurement technologies we should use, how we should look at brands and their trajectories through, through life. We brought in data scientists and AI people um, who could you know, identify the best way to use data and to, to produce it in a way that was intuitive and readily accessible to people who mm -hmm. wouldn't want training and who wouldn't want to kind of go on a course to learn how to use us. Um, and then very importantly, I, I was joined by a good friend of mine um, who had previously built a SaaS business that was eventually sold to Virgin. And mm -hmm. he really helped me understand how to convert uh, my previous knowledge into an effective um, understanding of software as a service and build a subscription model, because that wasn't something that I had practiced before. Um, so the, the, the great thing about this company is that it is a diversity of talents. It's an interaction between business enablement, finance and strategy, human science, mm -hmm. machine science, um, and, and a whole revenue team that's brilliant at marketing and content creation and so on. So 
that that plan, that structure of what we would become was actually set at the very start when, in a sense, there were only two or three of us. Um, and there were just a core of three of us, and then it quickly became core four. Then we started um, accelerating through 2019. I think we finished that year at around 30 people. We've taken on another 20 or so this year, and I anticipate us finishing 2020 at around 100 people. Um, we're, we're recruiting wow. quite heavily at the moment. Um, and, and it's an interesting thing. You know, we, our, our growth in subscriptions is currently linear. Our business mm -hmm. model says that it will come to a point where it will become exponential. So at the moment, the, our numbers of people are more or less ma matching our numbers of subscribers, which is not yeah. a fantastic metric. It's not, you know, you want it to be very different from that. Um, but it's essentially us building up awareness, building up yeah. fame, building up authority, building up a track record. And as soon as that happens, I think there is such a huge demand for us, um, an untapped, underserved, completely unserved, actually, demand that um, we inevitably have to build quite a big engineering team, quite a big sales and marketing team. But beyond that, um, I don't see us becoming a huge company. We could possibly get to 200 people. But then I think the systems and the platform will be robust and flexible enough to accommodate any, any number of subscribers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting what you're saying because you indeed have that. Uh, I think we we face it as well. We are still a very small company, twelve people now, so we are really in the really the startup stage. Uh, but here, indeed, we are still on the stage. If you hire someone for your sales team, um, you can indeed predict like, okay, this is going to bring eight new customers in in a month, and it's indeed just uh, just a formula based on the amount of people. And there should be a flipping point if you create enough awareness of your brand and who you are and, and uh, of course you've had some nice customer <coughs> stories um, that that will flip around but that's always an interesting interesting flipping point for for companies indeed yes how do you are you um because of course when before we started recording this episode we uh, had a very brief chat about the the topics that i would like to discuss during uh during the episode and you also mentioned company culture that is very important mm -hmm. for you are you afraid of how such a rapid growth in terms of uh, people is going to impact your company culture? Uh, I'm not afraid of it. I'm sensitive to it. Um, and, and we are very mindful of that. I'm, I'm sorry I give you such long answers all the time. I'll, I'll, I'm going to give you another long answer. <laughs> I think that's how it works in Postcodes. I, I, I don't need to be talking all the time. It's how I do this episode. <laughs> Uh, you know, having had the experience of building a small company into a big and running some big ones before and doing it multiculturally across all continents of the world, I, I had some experience of um, what makes successful cultures. Um, and it's interesting, um, a friend of mine called Javier Ferran, who's currently chairman of Diageo and, and I think now of IAG, the, the company that owns Iberia and British Airways, what once said to us in conversation, when we asked him what, what do you think the most successful ingredient in any business is, he said, without any hesitation and very assertively, culture. Um, and and it's, it's made me very, I was already sensitive to it, but it crystallized something for me, which is that there's a difference between the talents of people that you recruit, the caliber of intellect that you have in the company, the horsepower, if you like, that your mm -hmm. engine has, and the culture in which that is mobilized. And, and I believe that you can have the very best people and a 
complete failure if your culture is wrong. Yeah. Um, I'm not. Uh, I'm not arrogant enough to suggest that I know the winning culture for every business, but for us, it has been a very early embracing of the idea that we we talk openly about the dark and the light. Mm -hmm. So things that are great successes, we celebrate communally and uh, graciously and generously. And things which are failures, and of course we have those and we learn from them, we also acknowledge, um, openly discuss, uh, never personalize. Um, and I think that notion of kind of the yin and the yang, if you like, or of the dark and the light being at the center of how we deal with each other has been really important. And where we've gone to is to be truthful in our exchanges with everything. Um, so there, there is no politicking in the company. And, and again, I know that that may sound naive, but, um, you can learn that if you keep curating the culture properly and you allow people, you know, when they're a little bit distressed or, or heavily stressed or <clears throat> when they're a bit indignant about something, to have a voice that's um, acceptable and to have forums in which to express those things openly. We have a very active one and all Slack group. We have a very open um, all of pro quo you know, um, WhatsApp group where everybody chats and mm -hmm. we have a thing called a weekly exchange where um, every component of the business discusses what it's been doing for the for the week and says what it'll be doing for the next week. And we nominate an elephant of the week. We're because we have offices in South Africa, mm -hmm. Philadelphia, and London. We've made the elephant of our South African ingredient uh, the the award that we give to the best um, people. And and we have a weekly um, showcase, as it's called, where I, I give a ten or fifteen minute discussion and update of how the business is doing in all of its parts then different parts of the uh, organization are invited to express to everybody else and to manifest what the great work is that they're doing. So it's a, it's a very interactive business that culminates um, in, and I'm, this is what I would advise anybody to try to espouse, is a high performance, low friction culture. That, that's the best place that you can be. And the, and the key ingredients for that for us have been collaboration. So we, really work in a lot of interactive teams. We don't do secret squirrel work that we then pop up with and say, look what I've done. We, we kind of know what everybody's doing as they go along. So it's collaborative, it's communicative. So you openly tell people what's going on and it's committed. Um, one thing that we have found in recruitment, and this may be interesting for you particularly, is that um, if people don't understand and truly subscribe to what our business mission is, as well mm -hmm. as our kind of proposition to our customers is. If they don't understand both what the business is trying to achieve and what we are trying to do for our customers, then it won't work with them, no matter how clever they are. So we, we do have pretty fully committed people. And it means that as you sit, sit at your desk or now no longer as you sit at your coffee table at home, <laughs> wherever it is that we're all working. Um, or in the garden you know, <laughs> In the garden for me. You know that the person next to you, so to speak, is doing their best and that they're the best to do that job. So we're, we're in a really good place and, and I'm very happy with how we're progressing because of this culture which has organically arrived, but which we now very carefully curate. Yeah, yeah. Do you think that culture is something that you can create? I do actually. Yeah. I, I think I, I really do. I think it, it, it very much comes from the top. 
I think the CEO has a really big role in establishing what the kind of the moral compass of the business should be, what's acceptable and unacceptable behavior. We actually, we, we have very few things which we say are unacceptable, apart from things like rudeness or mm -hmm. denigration of others, you know? You know, obviously don't be a, an idiot, um, don't do anything illegal, but otherwise you can do whatever you like, except be rude or put other people down, you know? It, it, it starts, I think, with the CEO arriving at a kind of set of values which they, they want to, uh, to permeate their organization and then really investing some effort in, in making sure that that's recognized. Our chair, Carol Ray, um, is our head of culture as well. And mm -hmm. she, she every day goes around the business and talks to people about how they're doing, what's going on. Um, and we, at our annual conference, uh, which we held in, in March, fortunately in South Africa, um, mm -hmm. had an entire section purely committed to discussing our culture where everybody had a voice. It's really important to make it a, a real thing, not a statement that's filed. It's not yeah. a CSR policy. It's a real living thing. Yeah, yeah. I always say to uh, to my team because I think we are in the. I, I think we are starting to get a company culture. Uh, I think that below ten people, it's hard to really have one. I think once you cross that yeah. uh, level of ten people, then you then you are creating a company culture. I think very naturally still, but you are creating it. Um, but I'm always indeed saying to my team, like, it's not a company culture if it's a word on the wall. It's a company culture if everyone can explain to his friends, like, how is it to work at this company? And how is it to, uh, to, to work with my teammates and with my managers? And uh, So, yeah, I, I fully agree. How do you... Um, I can imagine that you, you said you have four different offices, is that, if I remembered correctly. Three. Three yeah. different locations, yeah. yeah. And then, of course, we have the we have uh, as a result of COVID, we are all working from home now. Uh, mm -hmm. um, um, but fortunately for you, then remote working was already a normal thing, or at least distributed teams. Correct. How is that adding um, a dimension of difficulty to uh, keeping an eye on your culture? Great question, and and we recently posed to the entire company on a and a dedicated Slack channel, as usual. Um, the question, what what has been best and what is worst about COVID-19 lockdown? Mm -hmm. um, and, and we had a series of really quite fascinating um, answers, um, which essentially uh, had some contradictions. So for example, nearly everybody said the best thing about the lockdown was the lack of commuting. And yeah. equally, nearly everybody said that the worst thing about lockdown was the lack of commuting it was that separation of home and work it was mm -hmm. a personal mind space it was a time to reflect it was a time to transition um so we've been monitoring what's going on in, in covid and being quite open about it we have a covid management group that mm -hmm. says you know what data do we consider what government policy do we actually listen to because there are very few pure agendas. There's quite a lot of vested interest in getting an economy reopened rather than really managing everybody's health and so on. So mm -hmm. we, we have a, a COVID management group that um, is known to the whole company and it's known that things are discussed every two weeks there. And we, we've identified that um, one of the greatest anxieties during COVID-19 is the unknowns. So we try to remove as many unknowns as possible um, you know, when will we be going back to, to our offices? We don't know, but we can tell you that it won't be before the 1st of October. 
okay, so breathe out. You are doing what you're doing till the 1st of October. We then help people with their work from home environments and make sure they've got proper Wi-Fi and chairs and risers mm -hmm. for their laptops so they're not physically stressed and so on. But I think, um, as you've identified already, we, we were a distributed team and we have worked with Blue Jeans and other kind of video conferencing facilities to, to talk a lot. Um, our CTO actually did an interesting thing the other day where he, he looked at the increased use of Slack and Blue Jeans Mm -hmm. from the date that we announced when we announced our own lockdown which is the 15th of march and uh it it's slack something like tripled and uh blue jeans quadrupled so mm -hmm. we already had a spine for interaction but uh it all went to technology basically we become a a completely remote resilient company and i suppose we've just reinforced the things that we were already doing before yeah, and then fin finally, one one thing which did make a very big difference to us is that we had our we had an, an annual conference. We call it an imbizo, which is a, a Zulu word for a summit meeting, mm -hmm. um, in March in South Africa, where we we spent a few days in Johannesburg and then we went into the bush and had a safari together, and and that was the best and and most fluky timing of all things that I've done in this business, because how better could you prefer could you prepare for a long lockdown than to spend an intense week all together yeah. discussing everything, everything, having fun, knowing each other as people. I, I think that supercharged our ability to be productive during this period. Yeah. And, and, and there is a chance that the next time we'll all meet is actually at the next Imbizo. You know, who knows about the timing of this pandemic? Yeah, absolutely. Hey, and you mentioned earlier um, uh, that Celebrating milestones with each other is very important for your culture as well. Uh, for instance, you recently closed uh, closed funding. I think that's that's a typical moment for a scale-up company. Uh, that the, the 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 amount of celebration is huge. How to then celebrate that milestone with three different offices? How do you try to do it as one team? Yeah, it's um, it's hard. Uh, the showcases that we have every Thursday. Mm -hmm. where the whole company dials in for an hour um, is one. You know, we celebrate people there. Um, and if there are any particular good bits of news, it is quite funny. My, my children were sitting around early on in the, in the pandemic, mm -hmm. and they suddenly saw me clapping my laptop, you know. In fact, <laughs> they thought I was insane. But in fact, the whole company was clapping their, their laptops. Mm -hmm. um, so we do that at, a, at an everyday level. Um, we, we are trying to find ways to more virtually celebrate big things. We have drinks, you know, we, we get together online. We don't do it necessarily in functional groups. We do it uh, in all sorts of different groups. But then we have employed one specific thing, which I think has been quite well received, which is Uber Eats. So we, we say to, you know, like we, we, have, um, we have for certain milestones just said, thank you all. Um, on because we have an Uber, a, a kind of um, a global Uber account for everybody, we added Uber Eats to that, and we gave everybody a particular budget, which they could then employ for their whole household rather than just individually. Mm -hmm. And we all ate at the company's expense at the same time through Uber Eats. It was just a little bit of quid pro quo. I mean, we're called pro quo because we believe in giving and taking, and this is a way of the company giving something back for for that great effort that everybody has made during mm -hmm. this period. Um, so I think we'll do Uber Eats a few more times and we'll probably find something else. Sales of booze have been stopped in South Africa so we can't send a bottle of champagne to anybody. 
Um, but oh yeah, you know, that's not a, you're not allowed to drink there during the lockdown. Right? No, no. So you have to try and find something that's kind of consistent across the cultures that we can readily do. Um, so if you have any other ideas beyond Uber Eats, do please let me know and we'll employ them. Well, I need to be honest that I was, um, of course, we are a tech company, so we are capable of working remotely. That's that's not the, that's not necessarily the problem for us, but I think we are a very young company and we have one colleague living abroad. So um, uh, that, that for us added another layer to difficulty of how to get everyone on board when we have something to celebrate. Uh, we do we do virtual drinks with the team uh, every Friday yeah. and every now and then we make sure that some pizzas are delivered at everyone's place during that yeah. drinks and the, these kinds nice. of things. And we have some, uh, our product owner last month organized a, a quiz with all kinds of fun facts from everyone in the yeah. team, and we needed to guess yeah. who it was. So we try to uh, we try to do those things as well. But I think uh, for for me personally, it's a huge challenge to. Uh, motivate people, keep people aware of your vision, your culture, what you want to do in the company, what went well, what went wrong. If you all need to do it through a video call, I think it's it's mm -hmm. it's just more it difficult to explain your emotional part as well in a in a in a video conversation. It is it is very hard, you know. And as as lockdown eases, you then have to start thinking about the strategies that you can employ for bringing people together. So we are, for example, thinking of a graduated system of re-engagement. So it might be that two people meet, mm -hmm. um, and then it may be that a small team meets, and then it may be that an office meets, but where do they meet? And, and in what weather do they meet? And do they do it in a place that does have social distancing? And do we mandate that if it's on company time, you must have masks? Because of course, there's there's a crossover now between, you know, what you do as a person, because some of your work colleagues will be friends, so you can go and see, and mm -hmm. some people are doing that. But you know, at a at a corporate level, you can't uh, you can't supervise that. Neither can you approve it or disapprove it. You yeah. Know, you just have to say that if it's on work, then this is the system we wish to employ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I completely agree. I I do think you have a uh, you have a very inspiring story in how you. Uh, how to how you try to keep your company culture safe and what what working methods you've you've in place now uh, to make sure that people that people are actually feeling part of the company and are aware of everything that's happened. So I think it's a it's a really nice example for a lot of people that are that are listening to this episode. My last question for you, uh, because I always try to keep it somewhere around thirty minutes. Um, when would you be? When is your goal accomplished for this company? Uh, I think there's a personal goal, and then there's a there's a kind of corporate goal, if you like. Um, my personal goal is to to help the business as its CEO to achieve our, our kind of always and communally embraced mission, which is to have. Um, ARR, annually recurring revenues of 100 million or more um, by somewhere around 2022, 2023. There are all sorts of sub-metrics to that, numbers of subscribers and revenue per subscriber, and all, which I won't delay you with now. Um, but I, I think that's that's my mission. That's my purpose as the CEO to, to help us do that. 
Mm-hmm. And then beyond that, I think, uh, because I'm 57, and that'll get me to about 60, and, you know, the, there are probably four or five people in the business over 40, and the rest are between 25 and 35, more or less. So it's a, it's a young, vibrant company with lots of brilliant people who are its future leaders. Um, and I think the, the mission of Pro Quo is essentially to become the lingua franca of brand management, that people, wherever they are, uh, we'll go for an interview with you, and you will say, um, "What's the what's the brand you managed?" Oh, I managed Harpic, and what was its pro quo score when you took it over? It was forty seven. When you left it, what did you manage to make? It was sixty three. Well, bravo! You know that's you know it becomes the metric system of brand management, and I think that'll take longer than I will be spending in the company. But that is what I believe the the purpose of the business is to to become the default brand management system for all brands in the world. I think it's an it's an amazing mission. And I, I really hope that one day, maybe we can have a chat in a few years again and you accomplish that goal. That would be amazing. But I have all the trust in it. I think at least uh, the uh, it seems like the people part of, part of your business. And of course, the people, uh, it's it's the fuel of your company. It's fuel of the, the engine. Uh, it seems like you are you're doing a great job there. Well, that's very kind of you, and I, I hope that you can help us to, to fuel that growth. <laughs> of course, I'm always happy to. <laughs> yeah. I really want to thank you, Nadine, for being my guest for today. I think it's a really, really inspiring story. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's very motivating to see how ambitious you are with your growth plans, and that it actually seems to, to work out as well, because I think there are a lot of entrepreneurs, of course, we always dream big, but it seems like you dream big, but your accomplishments are big as well, so it's it's. Really amazing. I hope you. Uh, I hope you enjoyed being my guest for today. Very much. It's very kind of you to have me, and I've enjoyed our chat. And I'm sorry I've talked so much. <laughs> no, that's uh, that's the purpose of this podcast. That I let my guests speak as much as possible, and I only ask a few questions. <laughs> well, they're good questions. Thank you. Cool. For everyone who's listened to this episode, if you have any questions for Nadim or for me, we are both active on LinkedIn, so you know where to find us. Uh, go check out Proco AI, of course, as well. It's really an amazing company. Um, and if you don't have any questions, I hope to see you back on my next episode.